From the beginning, we started Everyday Driver to help people find cars they will love. Commuting is a chore, but driving should be fun. If you like to drive, then there are cars where your budget, needs, and fun all intersect, and we want to help you find them. I'm Paul. I'm Todd, and this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're excited to cover some more of the enthusiast cars tonight. But first, I yeah. want to give out a, a shout-out to Shout Engine, and that is Chris Hayes and team at Shout Engine. If you're listening to this on yeah, Shout definitely. Engine, that's great. But uh, everything that we do on the podcast syndicates out to iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher from Shout Engine. And mm-hmm. he's just been doing a phenomenal job for us, and I uh, just wanted to thank him again. Uh, Got some great podcasts on there, uh, and uh, we're one of them. So glad, glad you're and listening. If, and, and if you uh, want to set up your own, he's got an easy, <laughs> yeah, easy infrastructure. I mean, we are not podcast geniuses technology-wise. We said to Chris, what do we need to do? And he said, are you kidding me? Get a microphone. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, so here we are. Chris, Chris can set you up. So if you're thinking about doing a podcast, definitely let uh, Chris at Shout Engine know. They have, he has been great to us over there, absolutely. Yeah, he really has. So uh, we're continuing with the enthusiast car options, and uh, we're – Continuing on uh, today with uh, starting with Hyundai, going on through Infiniti, Jaguar, Kia, Lexus, and then following closing everything off with Lotus, which will be fun. And you'll notice we left out a few in there like Jeep and Lamborghini until uh, you can buy a fifty thousand dollar Lamborghini. We're not going to be covering it in this one. It's only ten years old. <laughs> and, yes. uh, you'll love our running joke about Lincoln because you'll wonder where Lincoln is, but. Every time Todd and I walk through an auto show, we've coined the tagline for Lincoln, and that is nothing to see here. And I think it's still nothing to see here. So well, but that's why we're not talking about Enthusiast-wise, there's, there's nothing to talk about there. And Jeeps, I mean, great if you <laughs> want to get yourself a Wrangler, but uh, there's not really an enthusiast brand either. And we know that. I know somebody right now is saying, wait a minute, what about the SRT Cherokee? Uh, yes, technically that is a fast truck, but that's not really our truck. model. So <laughs> exactly. anyway, keep going. Uh, well, yeah, those are the enthusiast uh, brands that we've got for this week. Uh, yeah, you so guys are loving. You're loving this, and, and hey, we're, we're loving to be it too. Talking this through, it's it's kind of stretching our brains a little bit, and and thinking these terms, and hopefully it'll broaden the podcast going forward. Plus, you guys are writing in lots of great questions that are not just car debates. We're still taking your car debates. Yep. You, you're writing those in as well. Hey, what about this car? What about this amount of money? Thanks for doing that. You're also rating and sharing, and that is helping a lot. So thank you. Please rate if you haven't. But you're sending in some cool questions. We have a couple of questions we actually wanted to cover tonight before we got into talking about brands. Two different ones. Dan wrote into us, and so did Lucas, with two kind of oddball questions. We wanted to tackle them because they got us talking. So we thought, all right, let's share this. Yeah, this and is kind of interesting. And the first one is from... First one is from Dan, and he's asking a question about these new hyper cars. Now, what we're talking about here is the Porsche 918, the McLaren P1, and the LaFerrari. Well, of course, those are the dual system, dual power system hyper cars. I suppose you could you could throw in the BMW in here as well, the i8. But we're yeah, mainly talking hyper cars, and all of them are throwing down these ridiculous horsepower numbers. And his question is: Is that right? Aren't they? Shouldn't they have a an E rating, or, or here's our electric horsepower, and then here is our horsepower from the actual uh, normal engine? Shouldn't they be separate numbers? How can they combine them? Is that kind of is that fair? Is that legitimate? Which mm. is an interesting question. Yeah, I really find this fascinating too, and I think it depends on the architecture of the car to begin with. Whereas, you know, say the Porsche 918, the electric motors are built into the transmission, and so they turn off at turn on and off at different points through usage. So you might be able to just use the electric motor. And so, of course, you're only using that amount of horsepower from that electric system. But when you combine everything, you have to combine the horsepower rating, the horsepower and torque rating from everything when you Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. using everything at once. And that's my understanding. And I I think you're in agreement with that. Are you not? Yeah, I I think that's the key thing. I mean, I'm assuming that all of these manufacturers are coming up with a number that they got off of some dyno somewhere, and who knows how that dyno set up and all that, but they're not pulling it out of thin air, and it's not just a theoretical. Theoretically, they have done more than that. They've actually put the car on, on a rolling road, if you want to think about it that way, and gone, what, is the, what does this measure out to? It's not just calculations. Mm-hmm. But in every case, in, in, in the case of all three of those hypercars, there are moments when you're using them, the 918 being 
most of the, the exception, but in all three cases, they are having moments when everything that is possible, whether the electric motors are creating and that the gasoline motors are creating, is all being sent through the drivetrain to the wheels at the same time. So at that right. point, it is an all-in number, and that's where that ridiculous number comes from. Right. Now, depending right. upon the car, depends upon how much you're actually using in this setup at this moment. The 918 is where this starts to, to drift the most, because... What's that do? Like twenty miles on all electric? I think it actually has a somewhat decent. I think that's the range. But but you can go up to I think seventy miles an hour within that twenty mile range, which is great. Yeah, still electric during that. You know, so you can you can be using the nine eighteen, which we have a way to possibly drive in the future. I just went ahead and dropped that there. But uh, but anyway, you you can use the nine eighteen in an all electric mode. You technically can use the P one that way as well. But I think it only does does a few miles. So in that situation, no, you aren't. You're getting what a few hundred horsepower, which you know is still an FRS. Let's be honest. But (laughs) staying with the nine eighteen, if you look at the nine eighteen steering wheel, it has a hot lap button, and that Mm -hmm. is literally like your place explosion here button. I mean, when you when you hit that hot lap button, <laughs> the intention there is that the car is going to try to drain its own battery over the course of your next lap. So it's going to throw every bit of electricity that it has and all that electric torque at the car, as well as the full gasoline motor working at its full hair on fire mode. That mode exists to literally, let's just deplete everything. So that is where that ridiculous horsepower number comes from in that car. Of course, the, the P1 is, is filling in, and so is the, the LaFerrari, I think. They're filling in where the turbo doesn't exist. They're filling it in with electric. Right. They're uh, filling it's in all about gaps torque in, the, uh, in the torque curve. And I'm glad you said that because Dan's got multiple questions within this overall conversation here. And he's asking about the pass button on the McLaren 1. So it's not overboost. It's... Again, like the 918, it's draining the battery all in yeah. one fell swoop. So it's, you know, as much as it can. So that is your, essentially, it's an, you know, overboost bypass button. But it's, you know, all the battery, all the remaining power from the battery being drained. It's kind of a curse, the like a curse system. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is. In both the, the um, LaFerrari and the P1. And I would love to say, we've driven all three. And here's what, no, I, I wish. Then that'll happen, but it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. That would but, be interesting. But in... in our understanding is in both the LaFerrari and in the P1, it's kind of like a Kurs system, whereas the 918 is constantly shuffling what's working. The P1 and the LaFerrari, where they're using electric, they also have the like extra horsepower Kurs fire button available right. if you're working the track. Right. Um, yeah, and then uh, you know where where uh, power needs to be filled in in terms of you know peak torque curves and and non-peak power that's where electric motor can fill in um you know to your point here dan so uh yeah kind of interesting interesting technology I, I hope it trickles down a lot there's two answers to your question dan yes these ridiculous numbers i feel like are legit because there are ways that the car can calculate and put everything to the wheels and that, that number shows up mm-hmm. is that all the time no And depending upon the car and your usage and your setup and which buttons you flipped, yes, that number is changing. But theoretically, everything turned on. Just think about it in the Porsche 918 hot lap. That's probably the easiest way to think about it. There is a way to set up each of those cars so that they're giving you everything, and then that's where that number comes from. Right. Now, uh, Lucas has uh, an interesting number two question here. And he's talking about driving an ice storm that he recently got hit in Massachusetts. And he was noticing that the entire front of his car was covered in ice. But then where the fog lights were, completely clear. And, of course, the headlights were clear, too. But, of course, that's because they were generating some heat out of those lights. And now that he's asking that a lot of car makers switching to LEDs and high-intensity displacement uh, uh, output Mm -hmm, headlights, mm -hmm. rather than the standard halogen or even xenon, I I don't know that xenon generates much heat at all either. But, yes, they're doing it for, uh, you know, to control the light output better. But... LEDs don't generate any heat at all. I mean, if you think of an LED TV, yeah. they run so much cooler, and that's going to you know, carry over into the automotive industry. So he's asking, what's going to happen in yeah. this case when your headlights and your taillights aren't emitting even the faintest amount of heat to clear yeah. the ice yeah. or clear the snow away and melt a little bit of away? Of course, you've got the sprayers. You know, on your headlights to uh, you know when you if those you, uh, if those don't freeze sprayers. down into the car, best of luck yeah. to you. Those those might freeze into the car yeah, too. Yeah, they could. With this they kind of ice. could. I mean, it, this is a great question because all the automakers are going this route because every 
possible way they can change their technologies so that there's less drain on the car, so that they can get a quarter or a full or maybe two more miles per gallon out of the car because it's becoming more efficient. This is where all this move comes from. It's pulling less electricity. It's less of a drain on the car. So, yeah, LEDs are happening, etc. Yeah. But you're right. There's no heat. There's no heat at all. Mm-hmm. And actually, this relates I, – I can speak to this not about cars specifically, but – this has happened around the nation uh, up north in various places with stoplights. I mean, remember in the last 10 years, they all went from bulbs. And, of course, if you look at a halogen, a halogen generates. I mean, you want to scald your hand, put it around a halogen bulb. Right, right. It, they're shockingly hot. So you're going from that to now all of the stoplights are LEDs. And a lot of places that get heavy-duty snow are having accidents because people are literally, the, the stoplights are just, they're snowing over. Hmm. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this wasn't even an issue. I mean, you can look it up. It's happened in New York. It's happened in, like, Pennsylvania. They've had lights that people don't obey the light because they can't actually (laughs) see the light because it's gotten (laughs) snowed over. And the LEDs still work, of course, because they work forever and they pull no power. But they literally have to send out crews with ladders and wipe off the lights. So it's gonna it's gonna happen to your car too. It it just is. I love that advancements in technology are actually sending us backwards in terms of you know more put, causing more potential problems. I think I think that's well, hilarious. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's one of those things that nobody ever had to think about when we didn't go to this advanced technology. It is funny that we're now having to create other things to take care of new problems that have popped up, and that's always the situation. But here's here's actually the the answer, so to speak, that happened for all these stoplight discussions, I actually think would probably be the auto, and I'm guessing, of course, but would actually be the automaker's exa- uh, answer for this problem. And that is the, the different cities that have had this issue have said, okay, that means we're going to send out crews to clean these lights, but how often is that going to happen? Once? Twice a year? Right. Not very and often And they're saving, you know, the, the, the cost of them running those lights with LEDs is a tenth of what it was. I mean, legitimately, that's what they're showing, like a tenth of what it was to run them with normal uh, bulbs. So the savings is so immense that now they can afford the hassle of a couple days a year. Some guys put on heavy jackets and grab some ladders and grab a dust broom. I mean, literally, it's that absurd. But I think that would be the automaker's answer, too. They would just say, okay, so how many times is somebody going to be in a situation like Lucas where you drive for multiple hours through a storm that is so heavy, it's putting a cake of ice on your lights? You're going to have to pull over and, and Chip off. You, I mean, that's you've got bigger happen. problems at that point. You're going to be going slower. You're pulling off anyway. So, yeah, I, I guess that's just sort of wait for the once in a blue moon kind of terrible situation. And if it doesn't happen, you got away with it. So, well, okay. and I hate to say this, I'm going to go back to the whole recall discussion and the Fight Club example. Honestly, Lucas, the only way this is going to change is if enough people died because of this problem. And I think the chances of that are yeah. incredibly slim. So. It's going to be LEDs. They're not going to generate any heat. If you go through an ice storm, guess what? After a while, you're not going to have any light. You have to pull over and solve that. So maybe just pull over and you know have a burger and wait for the storm to pass. I don't know. <laughs> Funny. I like your solution. So before we go into the stuff from uh, for this week, actually, we should cover a couple of things. You guys have asked some questions, and you're doing that. You're following up on each of these episodes and asking about things we've forgotten or we didn't talk about a certain variation. And that's great because I know I tend to think about cars in the variations we've driven and sometimes, you know, we're not perfect, we forget stuff. And I admit that too. I've driven various cars in rental car formats, and admittedly, they're dramatically different when you put, a, you know, manufacturers do a, a sport type of model out of the same thing. Rental cars are vastly different, and I'm yeah. aware of that. And, you yeah. know, sometimes we're, we're not always right. And uh, so we might have left a few things out here, but uh, you had something uh, you wanted to bring up, didn't you? Well, there was one of our one of our steady viewers asked about because he has one, of course, asked about the BMW 128i, and I only ever think about that car in base form because and I already talked about it. It's not a great car in base form. I feel like that's the only way I've ever seen it. Yes, if you got the M Sport, you got the manual, it becomes a better car. So to feel like that 135i, which we did like, but it's still yeah. got a high center of gravity, and and I swear every one of those I see is the base model, which is not a fun car to drive. So if you yeah, have you one really better than that, the then version. great. It can only get better, frankly. But uh, but yeah, the M Sport version with a manual, that is a decent, chuckable enthusiast car. So yeah, somebody asked about that. That is a worthwhile thought as well. And then we had, uh, this was random. I didn't even think of this. The Dodge Neon ACR. I didn't think about it because I didn't realize they were still making them in 05. Interesting, yeah. I didn't think, that, think about that either. Huh. 
I mean, it's not. Yeah, look, this not is a not a. Driven, though. Not an yeah, and not an amazing car. But it was a decent chassis. It's not an amazing car, I don't think. But I mean, it's 200 horsepower and it's small, and it's it's obviously the hot version of the Dodge Neon, replaced by the uh, what was it the what's the one they replaced it with? Uh, SRT4, I believe it was. No, but but the new one. What was it called? The Cava? Uh, no, that's wrong. Um, Anyway, the car they replaced it with like, is so terrible, I can't even remember the name right now. Maybe I should look that up. But anyway, uh, oh, but yeah, so um, the end of the Neon line. Of and I've erased it from my brain, too. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's that terrible. But no, the end of the oh, Neon line was halfway decent. That chassis was a much more European-feeling chassis than you normally expected from American cars at that point. So that's a worthwhile thought. I mean, it's an 05, is the, is the far back as we're going, that's the last of the Neons. Right, right. And then there were a few of you that asked about, yes... The Cobalt, which we stepped past, and we stepped past it for admittedly two poor reasons. And my reason is, I drove the SS forever ago, I feel like, and the base version was, I mean, pardon me, the original SS wasn't that great. But you were right. So what you mentioned, as of 08, that has the same engine as the uh, Solstice and the Sky. You know, I did some research on this as well, and I had kind of called out the Cobalt as not something that pops to mind when I think of performance cars, and it still doesn't. But admittedly, doing some more research, not having driven that car, that car actually, in SS form, came in supercharged versions and turbocharged versions in different years. And yes, the supercharged version actually was warranted from GM and... It went all the way up to a Stage 3 kit. I mean, it was actually kind of GM's really first foray into tuner cars. And, yeah. you know, a lot of other things about the car weren't great. You know, interior and build quality and that kind of thing. But as a car, I remember looking around, a lot of journalists were surprised by it. Just essentially bang for the buck. Of course, that's what Chevy is known for. But, but I, just how much power this little engine made in this car Okay, so that when could that, be a consideration. When and, that car becomes worthwhile, though, is the 08 and up. And that's the one sure, that I haven't yeah. driven, haven't thought about. And the thing is, at yep. that point, it is that Solstice Sky engine. And now, the best thing I can think of for a correlation, it's a Mazda Speed 3 competitor. It's a front-wheel drive, hair-on-fire little guy. So if you're, if, you're, if you're a Chevy guy, then yes, Cobalt SS, that is worthwhile. I would say get the 08 and up so you get out of the like 200-horsepower supercharged into the turbocharged. Uh, that's a better way to go. the turbocharged car, right, mm -hmm. right. Exactly. I think All that's right. the better way to go. Oh, I'm glad we were called out on that. So that, that was a, a good consideration there. So if you're interested, that might be, uh, might be something there. All right. So <laughs> on to the brands. More enthusiast cars. And I would like to remind everybody listening that the, our self-imposed restrictions have been no more than 10 years yep. old and yep. 50K, right about 50K and under. There might be a few examples where we're trying to sneak something in, but those are our self-imposed restrictions. That way we're sort of keeping Lamborghinis yep. out. Of so course, we love Lamborghinis <laughs> as a performance car, an enthusiast car, but not everybody can afford one. So... Well, and you're, you're, ten, you're ten years old. Under fifty grand isn't going to get you a Lambo. It's just, it's just not. It's I, just it's, not going yeah. to. Even and, and if you did, yeah, I'm frightened about what it would cost to keep that car on the road at that point. So we're just going to dodge that one, and, uh, and we'll start with Hyundai. We'll start with Hyundai today. All right. So starting with Hyundai, I've got a car for you that you may not have remembered. You might have thought of this, but that okay. was the second generation Tiburon, which I have not driven. But you know, think of it as sort of the precursor. Yeah to the Genesis coupe. I yeah. just I'm wondering. It was it was maybe a little anemic in the power department, but I'm just wondering if that was somewhat of a fun car to drive. We've had a few people write in and I've noticed uh various people say, "Hey, review the Tiburon. I own one, whatever." Um, you know, neither of us have driven one necessarily, but I'm just kind of wondering about that car. I mean, front-wheel drive, uh I you know, I think it's going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be an enthusiast. I, I suspect, honestly, and I, I haven't driven it either, so here we are talking completely out of th thin air, but I suspect it probably is in the category of like a uh, an Accord, where it's somewhat agile, but it's not great. I mean, it's front-wheel drive. It, it's not going to be, I wouldn't say, enthusiast-focused, but yeah, you could get them for, for cheap. They're cheap. That's and, the thing. Uh, you know, they, they, they look halfway decent. I kind of like that second gen as well. The first gen was quite hot. I remember the commercial yeah. actually had it running underwater like a shark. Uh, really? But, uh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. The, fir the first gen that was very oddly styled, but they actually were trying to explain that the name means shark, and they actually had a yellow one, a la Jaws, being pulled along behind a boat underwater, and then it surfaced. Which I remember thinking, what is that car really? Because it probably wasn't an actual car, probably a fiberglass body or something. But it's quite an, an insurance claim. It's being towed underwater. Exactly. That's what it is. 
Well, okay, separate <laughs> problem, separate problem. But but you brought up the next gen of that, which becomes the Genesis Coupe. Yeah. And we've driven both generations of that. Uh, if you go back a ways, we drove the first gen in the uh, 3.8 V6 version, which I actually liked quite a bit uh, at the time. We drove the second gen as part of our Pacific Coast Highway piece. We drove the 2-liter the turbo for that piece. And that's an interesting car. I have to say, anytime we forget it, Somebody pops up and reminds us. That has one of those very hardcore, <laughs> rabid <laughs> fan bases. It does. But they are good cars. The great thing about the Genesis Coupe, I will say this, either generation, and you pick your styling. I, I had problems with the first gen. They tried to fix that with the second gen, and I don't think they improved the car. It was kind of a lateral move. I like the second gen whatever. better, definitely. I, I liked what they did. I, I, don't, I don't like the second gen better. I think they really? tried some things that didn't really work that well. There's the more I see now that I see first gens and second gens both on the road. There's some things about the first gen I just prefer. Really, I, I just thought they, they, say, but the uh, air intakes on the front were just sort of like the, a pinched mouth. They just yeah needed oh, to be more the open, the front, and they, they the did that with fascia, the second gen, which I like. The front fascia is not good enough on the front on the on the first gen. It should have been larger. But then they did this kind of boxed out maw on the second gen that I don't actually think. I mean, they they, they yeah, it's bigger, but I don't feel like it's better. So I don't know. Hmm. That's a personal opinion there. But you'll notice if you watch our our PCH piece. And, and people that are that are Genesis Coupe fans have railed on us thinking that we're trying to trash the Genesis. Here's the thing. We had the Genesis Coupe 2-liter turbo with like 200, it's got like 275 horsepower. But we had it with a Lotus Elise and an FRS. Right, right. Um, that is just a big, heavy, unagile car compared to those two. You start comparing it to like a Mustang... And it's a pretty interesting comparison. You compare it to a Z car, it's a pretty interesting comparison. Sure. We brought it because it was another 2 plus 2 at a similar you know, engine size, I mean, exact same engine size, in fact, and a 2 plus 2 at similar price point to the FRS. We felt like it was the elephant in the room had to bring it. It is a larger car than that FRS, and it feels like it, but it is yes, a lot of cost it is. for the money. And to your point, we it's not that we were trying to set that comparison up for failure on the part of the Genesis Coupe. That was not the point. As you said, the entire point was the 2 plus 2. You know, yes, it's a bigger car than the FRS, but there are elements I remember really liking about it. The problem with it Uh is they're just separate elements. It didn't gel into one cohesive real driving experience like the FRS or the Lotus or, you know, S2000. Something similar like that would definitely do. I liked various elements. I liked, you know, the engine Mm -hmm. at this RPM. I liked the, you know, the shifting at you know, third to fourth or, you know, various elements at various times during the car. Yeah. But it wasn't a complete overall, wow, I love everything start to finish. So it felt like a a lot of separate parts to the car rather than a cohesive whole. That's kind of my my opinion of it. But I do remember liking it a lot. I really do. I'm actually genuinely a fan of the Genesis Coupe. But I think only if you're shopping in the market segment where it makes sense. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is if you're, if you're looking at the, the Nissan Z, well, the, the uh, Genesis Coupe is a competitor that costs less. If you're looking at the Mustang, look at the Genesis Coupe. It's in that kind of size, which makes it, let's be honest, a little larger and a little bit less agile than the little guys, which are the Miata, the S2000, the FRS. Those are kind of smaller and lighter and less powerful but more agile. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at that kind of size... If you're a person that commutes and doesn't uh, commute on windy roads, yeah, the Genesis Coupe's going to feel amazing because it's got a decent interior. It's got a good usable space. Sure. Even oh, the, yeah. twin, the the two liter turbo, it's got good power. I prefer the V6 in that car. I think do it's a really? far better engine for that car. I do. No I do. kidding. I, I, I prefer really the like turbo. That turbo. Really? I vastly I just, preferred it. Uh, I, the way it put the power down, I vastly preferred it. Nah, I, I didn't. I didn't like that that two liter turbo. But of course, you know we agree so often on many of these things that we may as well just embrace that. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I would definitely say huh. three point eight V six. But you would say twi- uh, you would say turbo. So I'm sure somebody would do whatever they want. All right. Uh, yeah, that's the fun. Um, but I also want to say it's not enthusiast. But if you are a person buying a big sedan, you should be looking at the Genesis sedan. I'm just going to say that. 
You know, it's the new one's pretty impressive. Car. I don't remember it what is. the uh, MSRP on that was, but it couldn't have been much more than 50 to be honest. It's it's a lot it's a lot of car for the money. They've done that very well. And I, you know, if you're looking for a luxury boat, I think you better look at it. No, not an enthusiast car, but I do want to at least mention it. We should, of course, mention the Veloster, which we're actually pretty big fans of. Yeah, that's some low-hanging fruit there, that and the Veloster Turbo, which we also have not mm-hmm. driven. Mm-hmm. But that Veloster, we had a lot of fun driving that out uh, after we shot it, driving out on those canyon roads, that car really came yeah. alive. And I thought, huh, with more power, this could be a lot of fun. And then, lo and behold, the Veloster Turbo and came out. So yeah. it's a quirky little Even car. Though... It's not for everybody. However, no. it is a fun enthusiast car, and the price is right. They've even got some, uh, I think, R-Spec or R-Line editions of that car, which yeah, I R-Spec, think is yeah. really just a you know more marketing and trim than anything else. But it's actually a little bit cheaper than uh, mm-hmm. than the fully loaded one, and you still get that same goodness, that same turbo goodness in there, which I'm becoming yep. more quickly addicted than, uh, as I've admitted <laughs> recently. Uh, so I, I'd go for the Veloster Turbo, personally. That was a fun car to Yeah, drive. I think so, too. I mean, that, if that's a car that you... I, you're, you've talked about it already. That's a niche car. It's not a, everybody's oh, yeah. going to like this car. But if that car speaks to you, it, it is genuinely fun to drive. It is in that, that Civic range. I actually, at the time we had it, we haven't had, now granted, they've revised the, the Civic SI since, but we had an older Civic sure. SI yeah. and a base Veloster. And we both preferred driving the base Veloster, much to my surprise. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, I think if you if you like the Veloster, definitely give it a shot. It's an interesting, quirky little car, and uh, maybe it's for you. We should move on to Infinity, yeah. uh, who are trying, we talked about this before, they're trying to confuse everyone by taking away their old names, which were actually just letters, and going with new names and letters. Uh, <laughs> so what the heck is going on there? I could only think of really two that you know, hit my hot button in terms of an enthusiast car. And those were the coupes, the G35 and the G37 coupes. Now, we drove uh, yeah. the 37. We drove the 30, yep. 35 coupe uh, early 30, in the show. Yeah, 35 uh, coupe and then the 37. In fact, it was the 37S. It was the, the 37S, it was. You're right. And I come, I came away thinking like, all right, kind of another Lexus. It was good. It had a lot of power. Yeah. And especially yeah. that IPL, that Infinity Performance Line variation that was introduced uh-huh. at Pebble Beach a few years ago, that has almost 350 horsepower, some retuned suspension, mm-hmm. little goodies here and there. That car would be something else. I mean, if you're in, again, that car has grown in size from the Genesis Coupe, is a you know pretty yeah. good size 2 plus 2, heavier, yeah, it's, it's, but it's got some good power it the behind it Coupe. too. Yeah, we put it with the Genesis Coupe back when the Genesis Coupe first came out. We had it uh, next to the RX-8, which, of course, was that smaller level, but right. also next to the uh, the Infinity because it looked like they had an Infinity poster on the wall when they designed the Genesis Coupe. I mean, the uh, <laughs> they are very much the way. same size. Uh, the the thing to think about in those, those Infinities, if you're thinking about the Gs that we're talking about, the G35s and the G37s, those relate to the... Nissan Z cars of the same era. The 350Z yes. yes, is the do. G35, essentially. It's that same engine. The, uh, the the G37 is that same engine from the Nissan 370Z. So these are good engines, powerful engines. You're running 300 horsepower plus in all of them. Good amount of power. Mm-hmm. That era of Nissan, such good exhaust notes. I'm not sure what was going on there, but all of their cars, the exhaust on all their cars at that level, it sounds weird to say, but all of them sound wonderful. They did get it right. My feeling... Yeah, they did. My feeling on all of those Gs, sedan or coupes, is if you're pondering a BMW used, look at those Infinities. Oh, yeah. Whether you're looking yeah, yeah. at a two-door or a four-door, at least look. It's worth it's worth the look. I think the engine's better than the rest of the car. That's kind of my, my opinion. It's not bad for handling. One of the things that shocks me about that gen, though, of those G, uh, G sedans and coupes, is I feel like all of the Nissan interior materials age faster than equivalents from everybody else. I feel like a 10-year-old Infiniti, you get in it, and it feels older than a 10-year-old Beamer or VW. Yeah, I I was just going to say that. I kind of feel the same way. I I mean, yeah, the interior quality is kind of okay, but I will say, having jumped in one of the newer Infinities, they have come a long way. Now, if you're just, you know, those those G-Coupes are great price right now. You can get them for, you know. Yeah, yeah. Even the G37S, you can get those for a good price. Those were okay in terms of interior quality. The new Infinities mm-hmm. definitely have vastly improved. But other than that, I can't really think of anything else in the Infinity lineup that I really gravitate to, towards in terms of 
driving fun. I mean, they've got their Narwhal and they've got their, you know, other weird midsize well, SUVs. As but... I start as I start speaking weird car savant gibberish, you ready? The G's <laughs> have now become Q's. So yes. the G's are now Q's. So you can do the Q40, Q50, and then the the the, the old coupe has now become the Q60. I mean, what what the heck is going on I... here as they try to confuse us? But I will say this. The, the Q50, I've seen it on the road a few times, and seeing it rolling, I like it. I, the, the styling, I finally come around on it and have been like, okay, now that I've seen it out in the wild rolling, it's an interesting looking You're car. You're talking We've about the brand new car? Yeah, I'm talking about essentially the updated G37 sedan, which is now right. the Q50. The Q50. Uh, okay. That styling, I feel like anytime I see it on a show stand or sitting still, it just feels like too much. Like, stop it. Stop it. But then I see it <laughs> rolling, sketching. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Exactly. I see it rolling, and then I'm like, okay, it's at least caught my attention. It's caught my eye, and I start to see kind of nuances in some of the lines that I don't see when I just see it sitting there lit up on display. So if you're thinking about the new ones, that that Q50 is interesting. Now, you can get those tricked out, and they're suddenly above 50, but we're talking about this is their 3 Series competitor. It's their, you know, ATS, uh, Mm -hmm. A4, this is that competition. And we drove one at that track day last year, and it was... Yep. You know what? It was competitive in that world. I don't like their steering feel because, of course, they've gone to that steer-by-wire thing, and it's it feels right. like what it is. It's the, disconnected. The disconnected steering. But, <laughs> we both but, said it. Hilarious. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a good chassis. It is still a good engine. The interiors are nice. That is a worthwhile consideration if you're looking at, hey, I want to buy a 3 Series. What else is out there? You need right. to look at the Q50, right. but just... Uh, you know, God help you trying to figure out what the model designation is because I think we're all lost. All right. Well, uh, jumping over to Jaguar, I went shopping. I pulled Uh up some stuff online and I went shopping pretending I'm looking for a Jag because those XKs, uh, the XK8 and the XKRs, I thought, I wonder, I really do, I wonder if you could find one under 50 grand and indeed... You can. Mm-hmm. There's a number yep. of them online for sale. Let's see here. They're in the 2005 through 2008 model years, and they're all okay. R's, okay. all XKRs. Oh wow! And okay. they're ranging here from 34 to 38, somewhere in there. Some right. of them have all higher right. mileage, but I remember driving that XKR and the XKRS mm-hmm. at the track, and yep. that was just a Ooh, that was just a muscle car. It really was. And it, it's supercharged. That, you know, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you described it as a muscle car because that was my feeling on that same track day as well. If you can't picture the XK, let me let me define it for you. This is the 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 coupe that they had before the new F Type. This is the one that yeah. actually looks like and is in many ways a cheaper variation of the Aston Martin Vantage. It has kind of that look. Same designer, as a matter of fact, Ian Callum. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, it, it's the Aston Martin Vantage for half the money. Of course, if you buy a used one like we're talking about, it's like a quarter of the money. But yeah, the thing about that XK, I, I drove an XK, I don't know if it was an R or an RS, it was one of the big boy fire breathers, on a track day once at Motor Press Guild and put down some of my fastest laps of the day in that car. There is no huh. doubt yeah. it has unbelievable power, but it does not feel small. It feels like a big oh, muscle a, car with a lot a of grunt. It wants to get the back out. It's it it feel you you feel and and sense and see all of that long hood out front, a la you know an old uh, an old vet. Frankly, it has that kind of big muscle car with a lot of power feel. Hmm. That doesn't mean that's a bad thing. You just kind of have to go know when you're going in. That's what it's like. I always um, felt like uh, Jaguar had built themselves a Porsche 928, just a big, heavy, powerful GT Cruiser. Okay. I mean, gobbling okay. up the miles. Yeah. I always yeah. kind of equated those, and of course, I have Porsche 928 love, but yeah. I always like these XKRs, the XK generation. Even now, looking back and shopping for them, I really uh-huh. still don't think they look too bad. They're still clean and classy and not a bad choice. I mean, they're not a canyon carver. They're just not, but... No. You know, no, it's, high a big, speed it's a runs. big GT Cruiser, but it's an interesting though. car. You know, if it's something that, that speaks to you, it's an interesting car, and it's not a car you see all the time. You know, a really no. nice looking XK Uh-oh. is not that common. So I think that's a good a good find. And then I'm just going to say this: I know it is out of range right now, but I'm just going to say it for me and for everybody else is thinking it. Pray, pray, pray that the F Type has terrible depreciation, so we can all get one. <laughs> so we can uh, all get one. That, 
<laughs> that that isn't in this group at all yet. Obviously, they're brand no. new and they have not depreciated at all, really. But uh, that's the car we actually need to be praying for because that has yeah. the agility that I want that XK to have. Uh, it's a very impressive car. That is the car. I'm looking forward to reviewing that car as well. So, anything else from Jaguar in your mind? I, I honestly, uh, I mean, everything else you know, is there's a that, huge sedan. There's that, that XF sedan, which is okay. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like five series sized, but I don't know that I would say, "Hey, enthusiast car, you can get hot versions." But I don't know that I'd say enthusiast car there. Yeah, I don't know that I'd go there either. I mean, lots of power. I didn't remember being blown away by its handling on the road. It was just another. Nice, heavy, you know, kind of hitting its target market. Really, I hate to say it. I mean, it's it's a it's the Jaguar Five Series. I don't know yeah. another way to kind of quickly describe it. And we're not talking M Five. We're just talking the Five Series. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that that's kind of car. You know. Yeah, agreed. All right, so uh, Kia, what are you thinking? Anything performance wise? Well, Kia, I mean, Kia, Kia has two things. I, I feel like two things, and one of them you'll have to speak on. But I, a few years back, I drove the Kia Forte Coupe manual okay. and drove it hard at a, at, a, at a press day drove it hard and you know what is it a great enthusiast car no but it's kind of unique you don't see a lot of them you know kia has the good warranty that hyundai has as well because they're sister companies if you're mm-hmm. looking at a honda civic drive the kia forte coupe it's I, I i can't go wow you have to drive it's not a surprise but it's competitive well, let's be honest you're going to end up buying the honda but you know, you'll you'll have a good benchmark. <laughs> I guarantee you. I mean, well, you know, okay, but you're going to end up buying the Honda anyway. I think it's worth. I think it's I worth driving. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Kia do a rear wheel drive something. You know, it, it use the technology borrowed from their sister and, sure. and make a rear wheel drive something. But it's a front wheel drive. You know, kind of what you expect. Scion TC. You know, Honda Civic. It's in that yeah, world. Right. And it's fine. Right. It's fine. And then you actually, it's not an enthusiast car, I guess, but it's it's kind of a quirky little car. You drove the Kia Soul. And I are kind of a fan of that for what it is. You know, I had a lot of fun. I actually rented one of these recently, a few months ago, and I thought, all right, I'll give it a shot. I was ever so slightly embarrassed to get in the car, but once I did, <laughs> it had good power. I was surprised, and then I looked around. It had pretty good space inside, and it's funny. I don't know what it is about these, you know, like the CRX we were talking about, or the um, – not CRX um, – CRZ? CRZ, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. These cars that are low on power, and I just wasn't expecting just sort of a laugh when I drove them. I kind of like the Soul. It's not a performance car, but it's no. fun to drive. No. And for that reason, we've got to mention it. If it's something that is fun to drive and just enjoyable, you sit up a little bit higher. It is fairly lightweight and nimble. I just thought, all right. So we're talking about why not? You're talking about those random cars that you find that are just fun to ring out. Yeah, it probably falls into that category. It does. I mean, you want to redline it everywhere you go just to get anything, (laughs) just to keep up with normal traffic. But okay, at least you're having fun over there, you know. So yeah, the only other car that struck me was that Optima SX because it's got the turbocharged engine. But it's yeah. a bigger car, and it's more just like yeah. Camry. You know, Kia does a Camry, so I, I'm not going to go yeah, too far down that it's road. It's a powerful Camry. I mean, honestly, the, the Accord is a better enthusiast car than that is. And oh, yeah. I hate to say it this way, but just sitting in the Optima, it had bench seats like nothing since the 1980s. <laughs> I mean, the, the seats the seats were so non-enthusiast that I can't recommend that for any enthusiast just based on the seats alone. I know that sounds weird, but rarely have I sat in a car and been like, Wow, there's just no bolster at all. I'm just sitting on a bench. I mean, I was I was shocked by that. I was absolutely shocked. We should we should move on to Lexus, who you know five years ago we would have been struggling a little bit, but right now I think Lexus is kind of interesting. I do too. You know, there's uh, noting with Lexus in this ten year gap, you realize that the IS all three generations of this car fit in the last ten years. Yes, the IS three hundred barely squeaks in because it ended yep, production in 05. Yep, then yep. the second generation was 05 to 08, and that's when that awesome ISF premiered in 07 with the uh, five liter V eight. And yeah, now yeah. with the third generation that began in twenty thirteen, you and I drove the th- IS three fifty F Sport. I guess mm-hmm. F is now F mm-hmm. Sport, and. Yep. That won our comparison in terms of 
well, I remember it winning mine, just in terms of overall handling and drivability, I I naturally tend to want to just, I don't know, bag on Lexus and, and not give them props, but I cannot anymore. They're actually an enthusiast brand. They really are. I'm I'm well, surprised I mean, I to feel say like, that, but they are. I feel like that Gen 1, I'm glad you brought up the fact that all three generations of IS exist, because I think that is the key uh, discussion point here for Lexus. That I feel like that first Gen IS and the first Gen SC, which is actually older than we're talking about, but it, but I, I need it for my kind of reference here. Okay. Those were the oddballs, the original Lexus lineup. They were the actual sporty-seeming cars in a lineup that otherwise was just trying to make floaty... Mercedes style also ran. Right, okay. Right. And then the second generation IS and the second generation SC, I don't feel like we're very good performance cars at all. Mm, now no. the ISF, I want to I want to come back to the, the ISF, ISF but the second gen different deal. The, the right. second gen IS and the second gen SC weren't performance cars, and the entire lineup kind of goes soft and let's chase our market share and blah blah. Now this third gen with the IS. I feel like they're finding it again and going, okay, there are enthusiasts out there we could get if we actually tune our cars that way. And they're trying to make a good enthusiast variation of everything. They're trying to kind of do BMW for another way to put it. Right. But that first Gen IS with the three liter, the inline three liter and a six speed, if you can find one, that's a pretty cool enthusiast car. Oh, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that was uh, that engine was shared around. I don't know what exactly the engine code is on that, but... I believe it was shared with the Supra, that inline six, and you could rev they, the, they had like a they had a turbo version it. of it in the Supra, so it was a yeah. variation. But yeah, it's yeah. essentially the same block. It was a massively used inline six turbo block, but you can't go wrong with an inline six anyway. I mean, that's just fun. So you've got an inline six with a six speed. It was a decent chassis. So if you get that first gen IS with a six speed, and that engine could be really awesome. Oh the yeah. The second gen IS, I just I never thought it was a very good car. The ISF shows up, and I have to say, vast improvement, but paled in comparison to the M cars of the same era. And I didn't even like it as much as some of the S car, the uh, the Audi S uh, versions. Mm-hmm. Great engine, but I felt like it was a better engine than anything else going on with the car. Now they refined it over the years. I think the last, the very last year of that ISF was supposed to be quite a bit better. I will admit I haven't driven it, but I drove it a couple years into its lifespan, and. I remember being really impressed with the power and felt like everything else was operating at maybe 70-80% of what the power was giving me. And I was like, ah, that's a bummer. I think you're right. I think that ISF just tried to solve things with engine power alone. And it was obvious that you cannot do that. In a lot of cases, you can be down on power because that 350F Sport certainly is to the BMW. And it's dynamically a better car. And we liked it. We were surprised. So well, I, that new I, I think that I, I, they're trying to solve it with just power alone, which is not the recipe for success. I'm excited about the new IS to see if they make a new ISF versus just an F Sport. But that that 350 IF, uh, IS 350F Sport, how long is this name? Uh, that <laughs> yeah. that we drove. You know, the thing that was one of those cars that was better when you. It was one of those cars that got like an eight across the board. Seven or an eight across the board, you suddenly walked away and went, that's a great all-around car. It wasn't a huge standout in any area, but yet it was just a car we all enjoyed much more than any of us expected to. And that's actually the really cool thing. If you're looking in that kind of 3 Series A4 range, you have to look at that IS350 F-Sport. I do think you're going to have to go F-Sport to really feel like it's an enthusiast car. Oh, absolutely. But I think it's worth, it's definitely worth the consideration. And then, of course, we have the new RCF, which we haven't driven, but that would be fun. Yeah, there's the RC350, but then there's the RCF as well. And, of course, that's you know pretty much a brand-new model, so it's not going to be under our you know 50K price cap there. But we've got to drive that car. It just, it, well, I don't think the F is, but I think you can probably get into the, you can get into the RCs for less than 50. But can I, you? I, mean, I, I, I can't speak to it from experience. I can't speak to it from experience, so uh, we'll, but, we'll get there. But, you know, now that we've driven hey, that IS, that really impressed us. I'm really looking forward uh-huh. to the to the uh, RC, to be honest. Agreed. It, it suggests really good things for the, for the Lexus brand. And now we'll move on to a place where I have nothing to say, <coughs> and that is my friends. <laughs> and that's Lotus. it. Thanks for listening. Great. Yeah. Uh, nothing more to see here. <laughs> Moving on. And uh, I think we're done, aren't we? Or, oh, yes. Wait. My, oh. my basic answer, my basic <laughs> answer for Lotus, Lotus is yes. <laughs> yes. If you can find a Lotus for under 50 grand, 
Todd's recommendation is please buy that car. <laughs> Granted, you're going to have to worry about maintenance, especially as the older you, older you go. You might have to just be a little bit concerned. But honestly, for sure. under fifty grand, you could get them all. You could get <laughs> an Elise. You could <laughs> get. I'm not, I'm not you? saying. I'm not saying buy one of each. I'm just saying, but you could get an Elise. You could find an X Siege, or you could find an Evora for under fifty. No, which is no Evora is under. Yeah, 50. you can. No. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking at one right now, Paul. Not only are these you're going to have to say that for me to believe it. Hold up, no it, way. I, I guarantee you. It, here's the thing. What it's is that? Just be a right beat about... down. Just no. We hooned it into oblivion, kind of, and now we're selling no. for fifty grand. No, no, that's not that's not the case. There are actually multiple out there for under fifty. Now you're going to be getting what? the early ones, the 2010, 2011s. Okay, but, so they're, you're not, they're not the, the um, forced induction on that car. That's the thing. You're not going to get the supercharged. Yeah. And, I, and I've driven both. I've driven both. And here's the thing about the base one. The base one is running the Camry engine at like 270 horsepower. It's one of those cars uh, that's the best correlation I can think of. It's one of those cars like the FRS where you drive it and you just think, wow, this chassis can really handle a lot more power. Hmm. It is genuinely fun to drive. It has the power of like a base Cayman. So it's not, whoa, I'm impressed, but it's not a slow car. You're talking the, the, the uh, non-supercharged one? I'm talking about the base of the base which of you Vore, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with 45 in your pocket, certainly what? 45 to 50, you could get an Evora. You absolutely could. You have to shop smart. There's not a ton of them, but they exist. 45 the downside, grand. isn't that amazing? I agree with you. It's I, insane. I am shocked. I, I still thought they were up around 70, 60 maybe? You, I, you find a recent one supercharged or new, and you better bring 70 to 80. But... I'm talking 2011 non-supercharged, 50 grand. Absolutely, you can find one. The downside of that car, I would say, is twofold. And I've driven both variations on the track, and I'm a very big fan, obviously, of Lotus. No one's surprised. But here's the thing: <laughs> it is a fantastic Cayman alternative. The Cayman is superb. I'm not going to strike the Cayman, anything against the Cayman at all. It's great, even in the ways that the Lotus isn't great. But the, the, the Evora is a fantastic Cayman alternative. I actually think the steering feel in the Evora is a little bit better, but the hmm. gearbox is noticeably worse than the Cayman. Okay. That the sure. six-speed in the Evora that. is one of those six-speeds you cannot rush and you have to think about, okay, I'm in second, okay, I'm there's third. It, that's the kind of gearbox that it has, which is disappointing. Thank God it's a six-speed, but that's disappointing. And then... You know, that base version, it never is going to wow you with the power, but it isn't slow. So those are the downsides, but it is a very interesting car, especially for this kind of money. I mean, Lotus has always been known for their engineering and handling prowess. They're not Absolutely. an engine builder. They're not a gearbox builder. They're handling people. So I can see and that. And it's on display. It is on display. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. As much as I love the Elise, the Elise gearbox isn't great. Yeah, you know, it's got it's got plenty of issues of its own. It's just got that kind of little bit of slop that is often inherent in rear or mid-engine cars. Now the Cayman doesn't have it, but this is Porsche. Sure. So sure. you know, I mean, but you you have to consider if you're thinking about a Lotus, you have fifty grand in your pocket. Any of those models, you huh. actually can have one. I'm glad you looked that up. I I thought of a third downside to owning an Avora, and that is to get it serviced, <laughs> you have to roll into a Toyota dealer. How much does that suck? Well, but you're but you're the coolest person at a Toyota dealership. What's wrong with that? I don't think that sucks. I think that's uh, awesome. I guess it depends on your headspace. Yeah, but whatever. I'm trying to hide my Camry engine with this fantastic clothing, but anyway. Um, hey, hey, an engine's just, an engine, man. I'm telling you, that doesn't bother me at all. I just want everybody listening to know that Todd will send me links, just random links. He's surfing throughout the day. Send me a random link to this Lotus Elise, and goes, "If only I'm I'm oh, so yeah. close." And I, I, it's so yeah. funny. So he'll do this a lot. And it's actually changed to FRSs a little bit. But I think you've gone back to Elise. You, you kind of waffle well, here's between the thing. FRS and here's Elise, the thing. don't you? It's only changed to FRS BRZ because they're ten grand cheaper. A used one of those is ten grand cheaper than Elise. You found that I, one in Montana for sale for like 16 which shocked me. Yeah. It was amazing. I want an Elise. I want an Elise, but I don't have thirty grand. Yeah. And if you want a decent Elise, you've got to have thirty to thirty five. And I want one almost badly enough to figure out what I should go sell. 
But <laughs> send I your money to Todd Lotus Fund, P.O. Box. Exactly. I Just still kidding. couldn't make it work. And so that's the thing. <laughs> At 30, 35 grand, and if an FRS is 20 grand, okay, that I can actually afford. What I what I do I think an FRS is a Lotus? No. Do I want a Lotus more than an FRS? Absolutely. Yeah, but if I'm looking for a fun rear wheel drive car and I really have 20 grand to spend, I love the Lotus, but I can't touch it. Right, right. I'm just, I'm still amazed that those leases have held their value. I mean, I think it's a great thing, but mm-hmm. they're not yeah. just plummeting into the teens. You know what I mean? Even the O fives, mm-hmm. they're still kind of expensive. But that's a good thing. Yeah. It keeps that car at a certain just aspirational kind of thing, which I like. And they're a fantastic niche car. And yeah, I just, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop going on and on. It becomes the love, of, love affair of Lotus. But anyway, right. uh, thank you guys for listening to this, uh, this rambling discussion of not just Lotus, but all kinds of manufacturers as we talk about the enthusiast cars for every brand. We've got a couple more weeks of this coming. We are gonna go through the whole alphabet, so we're trying to get there. Uh, definitely let us know the ones we've forgotten or the ones you want us to mention. Yep. Uh, thanks for sending those emails in because we don't claim to be perfect we're just giving you our impressions from the things we've driven yep check us out on video youtube slash everyday driver and you know i've mentioned this before i've still got stacks stacks and stacks of blu-rays for both the 50 years of the 911 if you haven't picked your copy up please go to vimeo on demand you can find both of our films the most recent one with the alpha 4c which we really liked the lotus elise in there and the porsche cayman those can yep. be uh, rented or downloaded on Vimeo On Demand, and you can order them from us. And just go to Amazon, look for Everyday Driver, and you can order both of those on Blu-ray. So make sure that you know that you're ordering those on Blu-ray. We have had a few people that have found they cannot play on Xbox One. That has to do with Microsoft's digital rights management, but whatever. So yep. uh, make sure you know that, and uh, yeah, check us out. Check out our videos online. So really, really appreciate you watching. And if you're, if you're looking for either of our actual films, one of the easiest ways to get there is actually go to our website, everydaydriver.com. We have yep. a subpage there. It's everydaydriver.com slash films. That's films, plural. You go there, you can find direct links to the, the online versions or the uh, Amazon versions, direct links from that page to any of those movies. If you've watched them on either Amazon, by buying the Blu-ray from Amazon or on Vimeo, please leave us a rating, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love others to see your thoughts on those films. Thanks to those of you that have done it. Yep. And right this podcast that's helping us get in the top 10 consistently it's helping these things grow and people are finding it and some people i've actually started to get emails you've read them too paul where people are like i just finished listening to all the podcasts i'm caught up thank god i found you guys which is awesome that's amazing tell your friends we want to hear we want to hear people's thoughts we want to get your car debates in your other ideas for us to talk about things like we're doing right now we want to hear those too tell everybody tell your friends tell your enemies let everybody know how much you like Everyday Driver because, you know, we're having fun along with you. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk at you next week.